Okay, let me just kind of go back and recap the kingdom of God. It has everything to do with every one of us every single day. And yet we very rarely consider or think about the whole idea of the kingdom of God. Every one of you children, it has everything to do with you as well. Because friends, we were made for so much more. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, it's just incredible to think that we have the privilege to be coming before you, almighty, holy God. You're inviting us into this moment. You're, you're inviting us to come boldly before your throne and ask. And so we ask, Lord Jesus, would you speak to us? Would your spirit stir our hearts, warm our hearts, engage our minds, help us to be present, not into this afternoon or things that have happened in the past, but we right here in this moment speak to us. Use me in the midst of it. And then, Lord Jesus, allow me just to fade in the background, not to be remembered, but that you would be remembered in what you want to say in our hearts, Lord Jesus. We just simply give this to you in your powerful name, believing you to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. A couple years ago, my wife and I, uh, for our 25th anniversary, uh, we flew out to Washington in Oregon. Uh, We had never been out there before. Uh, We both love being around the mountains and seeing the beauty of what God has created. We flew into Seattle. It was a beautiful day. Uh, We went up to uh, the the Space Needle that's there and uh, could see the view from there. We could see Mount Rainier in the background, and it was just beautiful what we were seeing. It was a hot day, an unusual day for September in Seattle. The next day we woke up. And for the next week that we were there, we hardly saw anything because of all the wildfires that were going on. So much so that day we were driving up to go see Mount Rainier that some of the roads to get closer were closed. Uh, My wife opened the window just a little bit and it smelled like a campfire came into our car that we had rented. We drove all around uh, Washington, we went out to the coast, and it was beautiful what we could see, but there was the haze, the smoke. We were going to spend a couple days in the Columbia River Gorge. If you've ever seen pictures of that, we couldn't get near it because it was on fire. And there was just smoke everywhere. And it wasn't until the last day that we started to uh, go around the corner for the, I believe it's Mount Hood that's down in Oregon, and we went around the corner just as we were going to leave that day, and we looked back and we went, there it is. We can see the mountain. We've been here a week. Oh, great. This is a metaphor, I believe, and a picture of the way that we tend to live our lives in reality of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is active and moving and things are taking place, but in contemporary Christianity, and that's true of our sin nature as well throughout all of the centuries, is that we're covered in this haze and we can't see reality. The beauty of the word of God is that it it brings us to the place to be able to begin to see reality, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. If you have your Bible with you, I encourage you to turn to the book of Acts, and we're going to just be launching off in these first few verses of what Jesus had said after he had risen, and he is with his disciples before he has ascended to be with the Father. Acts chapter 1, and verses 1 through 3 say this. It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, 
Okay, the first book, what is he talking about here? Well, this is Luke who has written the Gospel of Luke, and now this is the second book that he is writing. He was commissioned, it seems, uh, to be able to write this account to Theophilus and let him know, here's the reality, here's what I've discovered, this is what we know about this Jesus. So that's why he's referring to it, and it starts the book like this. In the first book of Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Don't lose sight of what he just said, what he began to do and to teach. Jesus, the God of the universe, always demonstrated first what he was going to do, and then he was going to teach. And here's the amazing thing. Anything that he asks of you or me, he's already done himself. He never asks us to do anything apart from what he was willing to do himself. So in verse 2, let's pick it up there. It says, until the day he was taken up after he had given the commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them. They were still dumbfounded that he was alive, but he continued to show himself to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking to them about the church. Are you in your Bible? Does it say church there? Okay, let's, let's go back. Let me read it again. In verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the what? Come on, help me out here. The kingdom of God. Speaking about the kingdom of God. When I read that and I see that, and I know this is the Jesus that has been resurrected, and then I consider that if you read the gospel of Matthew, littered all over the pages of the, of the gospel of Matthew, some 50 plus times, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. And now he is resurrected and he is speaking about what? The kingdom of God again and again and again. Were the disciples not getting it? He's spoken to them all the time about this. Well, well notice this might be a little bit of a hint that they don't get it. And before you're too hard on them, uh, let's look at ourselves as well. But verse 6 says this. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, at what time will you restore the kingdom of Israel? See the difference? They had in their mind that this king was going to come and restore the kingdom of Israel, going back to the Old Testament and prophecies. Here's the problem. Their idea of the kingdom of Israel versus the kingdom of God is, will you restore this, this small little piece of, of all of eternity, of, of, of everything that is, the kingdom of Israel, versus Jesus saying, I'm going to restore actually the largeness of everything, the kingdom of God. So, so, yes, their eyes were, were too small, and so maybe that's why he needed to continue to speak about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. You're not getting it, my friends, the kingdom of God. It's just like my wife and I being out in Washington and Oregon. We couldn't see because of the, of the haze and, and, and the smoke that was all there. We all struggle with that. The, their cultural realities had them de deeply engaged in them that they were looking for the kingdom of Israel when Jesus is continually saying, no, look for the kingdom of God. Look for the kingdom 
of God. My friends, we struggle with the same thing. We have a cultural Christianity. I believe today, and I'll, I'll share this a little bit later, we live in a day where we have a church culture and not a kingdom culture. We center around the idea of church. It's not bad. The problem is it's radically incomplete compared to the kingdom of God and what he is saying right here. So let's ask this question. How do we describe the kingdom of God? If we're talking about the kingdom of God, what is it? It's simply this. It's the rule and reign of God. It is here and now and yet not fully here. It's the rule and reign of King Jesus that is here now and active now, but not yet fully here. Look down in verse 11. It says, Jesus has ascended into heaven and the angels appear to him. And he says, the men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up to you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. When Jesus returns... He's going to bring back the fullness of the kingdom of God and his rule and reign. And guess who's reigning right now? You can help me out here. Who would be your guest? Jesus? He is ruling now, but we're going to see he rules in a contested kingdom. Though the power is here. So I'm going to ask us to pause for a moment. If we're going to understand the kingdom of God the rule and reign of King Jesus, we better take a moment and stop and pause and consider the king of the kingdom. Who is this king of the kingdom? We could talk all morning about the kingdom, and, and for a long time we could talk about the kingdom. But if we really want to understand the kingdom, we've got to understand the king. Who is this King Jesus? I'm going, to, I'm going to do my best to try and give us a panoramic view of who this King of Jesus is. I, I don't have like two or three hours to describe who he is, but just to give you quick little snapshots of who is this King Jesus. Well, understand first, this King in this kingdom is about restored relationship and his mercy and grace, and we'll come back to that. But here's the panoramic view. Genesis chapter 1. God creates, and it is beautiful, and it is good. Go into the New Testament and go to the Gospel of John, and it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who is the Word there in the Gospel of John? It's Jesus. And it, it, and it paints the very clear picture that Jesus is the one that spoke, and all of this came into existence. Doesn't that blow our minds? He speaks, and it comes into existence. Wouldn't that be crazy if we could do that? I could just go, buffet. <laughs> you know how messed up we would be if we could do that? Especially in our sin nature. You think this world is chaotic and mean and cruel now, and we live in a very privileged place in the world? But this is the King Jesus of the kingdom. He is the creator and sustainer of all things. He speaks, and, and, and it comes into existence. And yet, if we're going to see the panoramic, how does this king enter this place? By a virgin Mary, through the birth canal, 
helpless, dependent upon Mary and Joseph and others. He grows up just like any of the rest of us grow up, dependent upon parents and the provision and food and sustenance. Do you see the panoramic? You can't just go, man, he's the creator. Well, yes, that's true. But he is also the dependent child that came, Emmanuel, God with us. If we want to understand this king, we got to see both of the sides of that panoramic and the incredible view that that comes. It should be mind-boggling to us that the king of the universe, the king who rules and reigns over everything, entered like that in deep humility. Not only is he a creator and sustainer and the one who came as a child, he is a suffering servant. Isaiah 53 says simply this, he had no former majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should be desiring him. A lot of times we get this flowing, beautiful hair. I'm jealous. Yeah, I am. But these pictures that Jesus was beautiful and people would be attracted to him, what did it just say there? No, people weren't attracted to him in that way. Not only that, but Hebrews 12, 3 says this, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And yet at the same time, the suffering that he was willing to come and go through, the cross that he would endure, he also is the compassionate one on the crowds. He's on the cross, and what is his compassion towards the other man that's on the cross? He cries out to Jesus, today you will be with me in paradise. He says to the little children, come to me. Can you imagine that? The creator of the universe. And he says to children, come to me. When his disciples said, get those kids out of here. Come to me. I think it could be very likely that that last week of Jesus' life, that numerous ones that were putting the palm branches down and and crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, were the very ones by the end of the week that were going, crucify, crucify, crucify. If we want to understand the kingdom, we got to understand the king and get the understanding of, of who he is. This king, Jesus, is also strong. The religious elite could not stand him. He spoke words such as, you are whitewashed tombs. You wash the outside of the cup, and the inside is still nasty. Okay, maybe he didn't say nasty, but I think it gets the point across to us, right? He would speak that way to the religious elite, and then he would be invited into their home, and then there would be one like Mary Magdalene that would come in, and with the the tears that she had caught, that she'd pour those out on Jesus and washing his feet. And he'd be deeply compassionate in a culture where no rabbi would ever allow that to happen. If we're going to understand the kingdom, we've got to understand who? The king. King Jesus. Here's another one. If you have your Bible, I I think we just need to go to it. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12. If you're not familiar with the Bible, then just listen. But if you can flip really quickly, listen to this, because it is in the context of the kingdom of God. In verse 28, it says, in chapter 12, verse 28, Therefore, let us be gracefully... Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God an acceptable act of worship, of reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. You catch what that just said? 
Our God, Jesus, Emmanuel, close, held in arms, and yet still a consuming fire. The one whom the religious elite couldn't, understand, couldn't stand, and yet the, the sinners would come to him. He's a consuming fire. A lot of times we want to say, I just want to come close to Jesus, or we sing songs like, draw me close to you, never let me go. Uh, no thanks. He's a consuming fire. Do you understand the paradox, the challenge of all of this? In one way, the king is so approachable and right there. And in another way, we need to have an honor and an awe and respect for he is holy. We are nothing before him. The wrath of God could be poured out at any moment if he wanted to. If we're going to understand the kingdom, we have to understand who? The king. The king. C.S. Lewis, uh, in his book, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, uh, said this as he was talking about Aslan, who would be the picture of of who Jesus is. And and Susan is asking a question of Mr. Beaver about Aslan, and she simply says this, Aslan is a lion? The lion, the great lion? Oh, I I thought he'd be a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel, feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe? said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. It's amazing to me. He's a consuming fire, and yet he is the comforter, humble and gentle, healing the sick, touching the leper, dealing with and and having compassion on the outcast. He cries when his friend Lazarus dies. If we're going to understand the kingdom, we need to understand the king. Because he is inviting us to be a part of the kingdom of God. The amazing thing, if we go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 3, is simply saying this again. He presented himself alive to them and after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. I would love to hear more about what was Jesus saying about the kingdom of God during those 40 days. But I venture to guess, since it doesn't record it, that it's already been said. That if you go back to the Gospels and everything that he said about the kingdom of God, he just repeated again, and he repeated again, and he repeated again. Why? Well, yeah, in our sin nature, we're all pretty slow learners, and we all have a culture and a, and a grid work in which we're taking things through. So let's just take a few moments and just wrestle with this idea of the kingdom of God. This is one of the first things that Jesus said about the kingdom of God. In Matthew four seventeen, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you and I want to see the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, we need to repent. What is repentance? It's simply this. We're going our own way. We're doing our own thing. And to repent is to turn and to give our life to the king. Simple as that. But, it, but it's not just I, I made a transaction and it's done. No, my dedication now and my allegiance is to the king of the kingdom. That's repentance. 
but to seek after the king. A little later in Matthew, um, it simply says this about the kingdom and what he's saying. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the, help me out, kingdom. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, that are spiritually bankrupt, that don't have a spiritual arrogance and pride, but are simply going, Jesus, I need you. And you are my comforter and you are a consuming fire. I need you. So we need to understand this, my friends. The kingdom of God is about a restored relationship. We are formed by him. Ephesians 2.10 says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We see it in Psalm 139. We see it all over the place that he knew us. He formed us. He put us together. We are created uh, for him and for his goodness and for his glory. And he gives us the choice whether we want to rebel against him or whether we want to repent and follow after him. It's about a restored relationship, that we be transformed, conformed to him. Unfortunately, we live in a day where in many ways we're just told, hey, just repent and follow Jesus, but it ends up stopping right there. My friends, if it's about the kingdom of God, it's about marching in allegiance continually towards Jesus until the day that I die or he comes back. And that's critical for our understanding. We'll come to that in a moment. Not only are we, uh, the kingdom is about a restored relationship with the king, but as disciples then, we are kingdom agents. Paul would say this, that we are ambassadors. We never retire. When you're invited by Jesus to repent and come into the kingdom, at that moment, that moment right there, whether you understand it or not, you are ambassador, you are a kingdom agent for the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That's why I say it matters for every one of us in this room this morning. It matters. There's a book that's called Jesus Crop from the Picture by Don Aldred. He simply says this, the story of God's interaction with his creation is revealed in the Bible. There is a storyline in the scriptures that moves from the beginning to the end, from Genesis to Revelation. The, uh, the plot of this unfolding drama is now being lived out in the history of the church until Jesus returns. As C.S. Lewis said, Christianity is the story of how a rightful king has landed, you might say in disguise, and is called us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. And yet for way too many cultural Christianity, I'm fine. I'll just do my thing. I'll sit at church. Then I'll go home. I'll do my work. Then I'll go sit at church. No, wait a minute. There is a kingdom of God. We're invited into that kingdom of God and to be about the king's business. We are kingdom agents. Not only are we restored in relationship, right relationship, but to be kingdom agents, it's so much more than that. Consider the, the, the challenge uh, of, of the kingdom, the, the battleground that's taking place right here. That's why there's such a challenge and a difficulty, because right here in the time frame in which we live, though the king is victorious, he's still <laughs> inviting us into a contested kingdom. Just consider this in Matthew 4, verses 8 through 9, uh, the first act that Jesus did after the Holy Spirit came upon him, it, the devil had taken him out to tempt him. And, and the devil showed him all the kingdoms of the world, and all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship 
me. Aren't you glad Jesus denied that? Could the devil rightfully give them that, him that? Absolutely. At that moment, everything that's around us, the devil had claimed as sin came into this world and Adam and Eve, and he says, this is my kingdom. And he still thinks it's his kingdom even though he's defeated. And we live in a day where there's a contested kingdom, and that's why it's so important for the king's kids to stand up and be about the king's business, to be a, king's, uh, to be a kingdom agent that is here. See, here's a, here, an interesting thing about history that this Don Aldred, I, and I believe he's right with this. For about 1,500 years, the church considered Jesus, after he is resurrected and got into heaven, that he was the victorious Lord. That was what was championed 10 years and, and 100 years after 100 years. And, and that kind of transitioned to, he's the savior of the church. Is there anything wrong with that? No, there's nothing wrong with that. But just listen to the progression of what takes place to now we live in a day where what we talk about is my personal salvation. Is there anything wrong with talking about my personal salvation? No, but the problem is if we're ignoring the reality that he's so much greater than that, it then becomes about me in individualization and being incomplete. This Don Aldridge simply says this, it went from the Jesus and his kingdom to me and my personal relationship. My friends, listen to that. From Jesus and his kingdom to about me and my personal relationship. My friends, it's about the kingdom of God. From the kingdom that's in conflict to Jesus, be there for me. This day in which we live and this world in which we live stinks of sin at every corner. And it's a contested kingdom. And we are kingdom agents that should stand up. See, this is what happens when we repent. We're rescued out of a kingdom of darkness. We are rescued into what? The kingdom of light. And at that moment, we should understand through the scriptures and through the discipleship that we are invaded right at that moment to do damage to the kingdom of darkness. And yet most of the church in the United States is content just to sit back. And globally, it's a part of sin nature that we don't understand and see the beauty and the majesty and the impact of the kingdom of God. We are rescued into a restored relationship to be a kingdom agent, to realize that in the kingdom, as we're kingdom uh, agents, we are a part of a battleground. And then, my friends, we are called to be kingdom multipliers. If you go to Matthew 13, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, Jesus continually says, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like. Some of you may see me come in with this and go, oh no, he must be preaching a long time if he needs to bring lunch with him. Let me ask you a question. What do you see here? You have to answer. Help me out here. What do you see? Are you sure that's what it is? Is this an apple? Yeah, it's an apple. But you know what? I don't just see an apple. That's what I think our contemporary, the, the smoke-covered mountains of what the, we see in typical today. But you know what I actually see here? I see an apple tree. No, 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 no. You know, you know what I see here? I actually see an apple orchard. 
You see, my friends, if we understand the kingdom of God, it's not about an apple. It's about the capacity of this apple. And I find it rather interesting, and I think it's a metaphor for us today, is we typically shine up the apple, we eat the apple, we enjoy the apple, and what do we do with the core? We throw it away. But where's the capacity of the apple? It's actually in the core. It's in the seeds. That literally, inside this, though I ask what this is, yes, it's an apple, but I believe it is so much more. And it's the beauty and the picture of the kingdom of God. It's not just an apple, it's an apple orchard. It could be literally millions of apples right here in the capacity of this one apple. So as you read all those, when Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like... My friends, we need to move from the day where we say we pay the pastor to do it and we need to all take responsibility that we're all kingdom agents. Then we're going to see the capacity of what really was the apple rather than just making the apple shiny and look nice or enjoy one and throw away the core in the greatest capacity. Acts chapter 1, verse 3. Jesus was speaking about the kingdom of God. Let me just make some practical observations for all of us. I really challenge every one of us simply to do this. I've done it in a couple of the the Gospels, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'd encourage you to take a highlighter in a color or buy one in a color uh, that you haven't used before and simply start reading through the Gospels and start to highlight everywhere it says kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. You'll probably be... surprised at how many times you see the kingdom of God recorded throughout Jesus' lifetime recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The kingdom is incredibly important. Here's a question that I I challenge us to, to ponder. I'm pondering this question. Could it be that if we focus on the church, we miss much of the potential of the kingdom coming here on earth? Now stop and listen to me. Don't assume what I'm saying. Could it be that if we focus on the church and the things and the, and the programs and the things of the church that we actually miss much of the potential for God's kingdom to come? Meaning if we focus on the church and its programs and, and being here, I'm not saying those things are wrong. And in fact, those things are beautiful, but it's a, it's a difference of our focus. Are we focused on these things or are we focused on the kingdom of God? If we go back to chapter 1, he simply says this to the apostles. These, these dudes were messed up. Just read the Gospels. And there's great hope for us because we're just like them. But he simply says this, don't leave Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit has come upon you. I will send you and you will receive power. You know that word in the original language? The base of that word is dynamite. You will receive dynamite when the Spirit comes upon you. My friends, if you're a follower of Jesus right now, the same Spirit that was in Jesus is in you. Let that one sink in for a moment. And in me. He doesn't lack the power and the capacity to do it, but he lacks the obedient uh, and partnering followers to be a part of his kingdom moving. 
so a challenge to read through the, the New Testament and especially the Gospels, look for the kingdom, uh, the, the question to ponder, could it be that if we focus on the church, we miss much of the potential of the kingdom to come? And then friends, as, as kingdom agents, we need to understand the priesthood of all followers, you and me, because my friends, we were made for so much more. The amazing thing in the book of Acts, as Peter uh, was preaching, they said, hey, these are just unschooled and ordinary men. The gospel has moved in its greatest capacity around this globe for centuries through everyday ordinary people that were committed to the king and obeying about his kingdom business. We need to move, I believe, in a day, and and you're going to have to stop and think about what I'm saying. We have elevated clergy to being up here. I'm one of them. I think this is rather funny because I'm just some kid that grew up on a dairy farm about 60 miles from here that was massively insecure. See the irony of that? But we, we have elevated clergy like this, and we've called it the laity down here. I don't even like using that term laity anymore because it's created this divide. I don't see that in the New Testament. It talks about the priesthood of all believers. Is there a uniqueness of those that are uniquely called in the sense of clergy? Sure, we want to continue to respect that, but we need to, we need to level that where we're both, we are all marketplace people. Then we're going to see the kingdom of God move. In Wisconsin and the UP, there's 6 million people. If we want to reach 6 million people in that geographic area, you're not going to do it with pastors and elders. You want to see 6 million people reached? Empower the church to be about the kingdom of God. And 6 million people don't have a chance. But we have to switch our thinking. We need to reframe the way that we think. So in that, there's simply an invitation to, in humility, encounter the king regularly. That is why, as Joe has preached this last fall, failure is not final. One of the enemy's tactics is to say, you're a failure. And I want to say, yes, so what? The king's got this. And I'm past that. And I'm defined by the king. Not by what you say, devil, and your little minions. The church doesn't lack power. The church has power. But we need to be the obedient people. And understand this, that if this is going to happen, that he is going to do a work in you before he's going to do a work through you. He's going to redeem pain and anxiety and suffering. This last year, my family has faced so many trials, so much suffering, so much pain, so much heartache in so many ways. And I have this confidence, the king is still in charge. And the king is good. He only gives good gifts. Do I like these gifts right now? Absolutely not. But they are good because he is so much better, so much grander. If we're going to understand the kingdom, we need to understand the king. So it really comes down to what has been shared with all of you is this sense of every block, every community, every people. As each one of you takes on just the obedience of this day to the the kingdom work that he's inviting you to be into, I'm excited for what Jesus is doing right here in Belgium, Wisconsin. Excited about what he's going to do in you. But there's going to be pain, there's going to be heartache, there's going to be challenge and all of that. Understand if you're going to step out, you're entering all the more boldly into the contested kingdom. Well, the king's got it. 
and submit yourself as a kingdom uh, agent for the king of kings. My friends, what if we changed our thoughts from focusing on the apple and what it could give us to the kingdom capacity of this apple, of the seeds, and we invested the seeds, and we planted the seeds, and we watered the seeds. And instead of one apple, we saw an orchard. And we saw a kingdom movement. Jesus taught his disciples to simply pray, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your, what? Help me out, those of you that have been around the church. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. What if we, as king's children, simply said, Jesus, would you pour out that kingdom? You said you would establish it here on earth. And he goes, yeah. And you start asking and and expecting that movement, you watch. I'll pour it out. Lord Jesus, it's easy to talk about things. It's a whole other thing to do it. I am grateful, Lord Jesus, as we just bow before you in this moment, that as you're speaking to any of us, again, I just pray, Lord, allow me just to fade away. You speak. You give hope to the one that's hopeless. You give a a, a new sense of your presence to those that are, are wrestling. Lord, where there's anger and where there's pride and arrogance, would you crucify that in our lives? and bring about your kingdom here on earth and in Belgium and the surrounding areas in a way greater than we can see or even imagine at this moment. We simply pray this in Jesus, your name. Amen.